0: Hello and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 194. Today is Sunday, the 8th of May, 2016, and this interview is with Eric Bernstein, Vice President at Bernstein Crisis Management. Working alongside his father, the renowned Jonathan Bernstein, who is the publisher of Crisis Manager and author of Keeping the Wolves at Bay, Eric has been working on crisis management since 2009 through the massive changes brought about by the internet and social media, In this discussion, we talk about the challenges that companies have in spotting and managing crises, as well as exploring the issues of transparency, speed, and trust. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset. That's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Mentor Dialogue. So today, in one of the more exotic spots I have calling in for my podcast, I have Eric Bernstein, who's calling in from Colorado Springs in Colorado. So Eric... We're going to talk a lot about crisis, but tell us who you are, what you do, and what is your mindset?
1: Well, let me leave with my mindset. It is always question. It's helped me greatly in work. It's helped me greatly to figure out this world that we live in. Um, I'm, I'm 32 years old. I'm a crisis manager. I've been doing crisis management for nearly a decade in the family business. Um, and other than that, I'm a family man. I've got a a son and a couple of dogs that I spend a lot of time chasing around. Excellent. Well, in good
0: green spaces and snow in the sun, in the winter, I guess. So um, you, you've you been working with your father in uh, in your company and dealing with crisis, and your your responsibility includes, amongst other things, maintaining the blog. Tell us about the blog and the experience you've had doing the blogging.
1: Um, you know, the blogging is really how I learned the field of crisis management. Um, it it's really forced me to think about the field on a daily basis and try to recognize what other people are doing well, what other people aren't doing well. And I try to bring that into my work. So it's a great research tool. Absolutely. It's forced research. <laughs> All right. Then what about the, the, the way you, you come, you,
0: you know, you conceive of your posts, give us an idea of how you're constructing these and the, are these sort of, led by what people are searching for, led by what people
1: need, uh, led by what you like? Where do you go with that? They're very much ripped from the headlines whenever possible. Google News is my largest source of topics. Um, You know, if, if that's not a source of anything interesting, then I just think what would people like to know or what do people need to know?
0: Mm-hmm. And you've been blogging for such a long time. Do you? What? How would you describe the difference over time as to how you started off? I mean, because there's always this learning part. You know, you well, huh? What the heck is SEO, and what is WordPress and HTML? And then you move along. But how would you observe the change that you've had to do over time to make your blog successful?
1: The largest thing I've noticed over time is that people need to be grabbed by the headline. I think today many people don't read beyond the headline before they share or put something out there. So it's crucial to have something that grabs people. All right, well, so within crisis management,
0: how do you grab people? I mean, <laughs> let's say that if I'm in crisis mode, I'm grabbed. But then when it comes to converting that thought into a search bar, search bar what, what, what's going on and what am I looking for? Am I just going to... Uh, You know, uh, give us an idea what goes into the mind of people who are in in need of your services, what
1: they look for. Um, Many of them are simply going and typing crisis management into Google. And Mm -hmm. we make certain that we keep a couple of our sites uh, positioned very well in Google. And we found that to be very beneficial for our business. Um, Other than that, just traditionally, we try to do media interviews and place our content wherever people may come across it.
0: And do people... Do you think that people um, are interested in long form or still, or is it, or, you know, what's your position on short and long form blog posts?
1: Uh, It seems now people barely have the patience for short form blog Mm -hmm. posts. Um, We've gotten more traction by sharing quotes, just single line quotes, than we have with some of our longest, most in-depth blog posts. Well you guys certainly
0: are doing a good job in keeping yourselves present and out there. So kudos to you, Eric. So um let's talk about the the challenges of dealing with crisis management in big business. You guys your father's been dealing with this for many many years and things are, have clearly evolved over time. So in in terms of identifying crisis because now we have so many more different types of tools and turn to many different types of crises. Who's responsible in the business for, for understanding what's going on or, you know, for spotting crises
1: in short, everybody, Um, you know, you really need to educate your management and your public facing employees on recognizing crises because they're the most likely to see it, but everybody needs some sort of procedure where, anybody, whether it's the CEO or the janitor, can say, I think there's a crisis starting and get people to take notice.
0: Well, well so, I mean, I, I, mean, I think I, I, I so hear that. The challenge, of course, is when this quote-unquote, I, I say that, you know, just to follow your term, janitor, says, well, you know, you should watch out for this. The, the issue is that they don't typically have credibility in front of the person they're speaking to. Another, let's take a little bit more realistic situation. You know, a junior product manager you know, writes an email to to somebody saying, wow, I've just seen this. And like, well, yeah, calm
1: down. You, you need to be around the block a little bit. And unfortunately, that does happen. Um, even more junior members of the C-suite can often be ignored or just poo-pooed, hushed up. A lot of times, it takes some serious pain for organizations to really get on board with listening to anybody who has a concern. Mm. Well, so then, I mean, it is just
0: about a question of pain, can we alter people's mindsets about this?
1: We can try. <laughs> some, some people you just can't change, whether it's crisis management or personality or any other aspect, but we can certainly try, and one thing that we like to use is to show examples especially examples that show monetary loss because those numbers really speak louder to a CEO or an executive than anything else.
0: Well, what's your uh, go-to loss-making PR
1: crisis? Right now, it's Volkswagen.
0: Well, I see. And so how do you... Okay, so how do you um, monetize the issue? I mean, to the one extent... I mean, obviously, they've got their, their problem, but how could they have managed this better?
1: Well short of not doing the misdeed in the first place, right. they've, they're they sort of taking a death by 1,000 cuts approach to this. Especially early on, they let little bits of information out, another little bit, another little bit, and it just extended the press coverage and thereby extending the damage. So rather than going at it wholesale
0: and being far more forthright, is that the, is that the alternative?
1: Yep. I, I would take my pain up front and all at once over slowly and over time. And I would recommend to clients that they do the same.
0: Just staying before going back into the, the VW case, because that's an interesting one for me, but the I was thinking about, we talked about the junior product manager screaming, ah, there's a big issue. And they will yeah, come on, cool down. What about the other one, which is the boss who comes in, the CEO, I read an email or I read a tweet that said that our products are terrible. And, and kind of the reverse situation, an overweighting of a simple ridiculous phenomenon
1: it's funny that you mentioned that because we've had two cases where that's happening very recently um especially in businesses that are sort of expanding from the smaller one-man shop or or small office to blowing up onto the international scene we see this with tech companies a lot they feel very very personally tied to their brand and if they see one negative tweet one negative email the sky is falling in their yeah, mind they take it personally very personally, and sometimes that results in them firing off a personal response, which then creates a true crisis.
0: I was in a board meeting recently and um, so it's a European southern European company and the comment was that i'm that they were glad that we had purchased a an Anglo-Saxon company because the Anglo-Saxons have no qualms about sending a mail directly to the CEO, which is uncommon in uh, Southern Italy or you know Southern Southern European like uh, Spain and so on. And he said that's really great. So now I get to see everything up close. And it, and I was just wondering, you know, just thinking of uh, that sort of made me think about. Well, then all of a sudden we end up. You know, motiv- mobilizing everybody about some individual that's just irrelevant in the, you know, or, you know, some smaller person who just had to happen to have the gumption to write an email. Well,
1: mm-hmm. it's important for them to have some sort of checks and balances. Hopefully, they'll have somebody who they can trust who's a bit more of an expert in whatever field it may be, whether it's in social media, whether it's in their manufacturing process, who can answer to them is this a real complaint or is this somebody venting and they happen to be able to reach me directly? Something
0: that um, caught my attention, because my father worked in the automobile industry for 30 years, Ford and then Peugeot, and I've had chance to work with a number of automobile companies myself. So VW situation comes around, and only last week uh, the company Peugeot, PSA now, uh, was... Um, they came in and, you know, the feds, quote unquote, came in and took all the, the, the hard drives. I'm, I'm just wondering to what extent other companies sometimes sort of gather their hands and say, ah, ha, ha, ha. they're having problems. And they, they sort of think that we're going to be immune to it. And yet there's a, there could have been an element of completely this was written in the wall that everybody's concerned.
1: You know, we do see these spread across industries and there is a sort of phenomenon where it's somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do, when we see a major crisis like this in one company within an industry, especially such a leader as Volkswagen, it's not at all uncommon to see it creep across a larger part of the industry as well.
0: Yeah. There's so many shared services in the background, shared suppliers, stuff ends up going, uh, going through. So let's say that now in terms of dealing with a client or helping them through, uh, situations arising, How does one determine that it's a good situation or a bad situation? In other words, or should I say, if it's a real crisis or just uh, a fake crisis? We were talking before we started recording about the whole food situation.
1: Well, we have uh, a few criteria that we really use to gauge initially whether we need to start really gearing up or whether we can sort of say, not such a big deal. The first one is, is it negative news that's a surprise to you? You know, if there's negative news about your brand coming out and you didn't know, that's a problem.
0: That is, yeah. You know, my product actually sucks, and I didn't know that ahead of time.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, another one is, is it being repeated? If there's just one or two angry people, they can be very, very loud, thanks to the internet. But if nobody else cares, you really shouldn't either. Right, but how do you wait that
0: that in, in, in the sense that, on the one hand, if it's a, let's, I don't know if you know Gary Vaynerchuk or some, you know, rather mm-hmm. well-known person out there that starts saying it, that's one person who's touching a million people, or actually 10 million people probably, as opposed to somebody who, whose profile isn't quite as high. How, how do you weight, uh, W-E-I-T, A-G-H-T, the the value of a criticism?
1: Part of it, I mean, part of it can be measured there. There's quite a few tools that will measure, especially on social media, social media, media sentiment towards a certain issue. A lot of it is your gut. If you look at somebody and you can say they have a lot of connections, they sound credible. You need to start getting a little bit concerned.
0: Hmm. All right. I, I like that. I mean, I especially like the, this idea that, you know, if you didn't know your products bad, then you got a bigger problem. But, um, all right now we've identified there's a crisis uh like the whole food situation. There's something something is coming up how best to mobilize. We said that everybody should be participating in spotting. But now then there's the the, the moment of coming back and and you, and you mentioned before with VW coming back and saying everything but give us an idea of how do you orchestrate
1: the return. So For Whole Foods is a perfect example because...
0: Tell us about the Whole Foods one, because we're not all going to know it.
1: Right, so Whole Foods had a situation where an an openly gay pastor had ordered a cake that said, Love wins. The story from his end goes, he went to pick the cake up, was in a rush, didn't look at the decoration, took it home and saw it was love wins and an ugly anti-gay slur below that. Mm -hmm. So, he proceeded to post a YouTube video showing the allegedly still-sealed box. He gathered a legal team. He announced a press conference. He blasted it all over social media. Whole Foods, the next day, turned around and said, no, no, no. That is not what happened. No way, no how. And here's proof. So, what Whole Foods had was footage from the cashier who was checking the customer out It clearly shows the cashier scanning the top of the box. Now, in the YouTube video that the person making the allegations posted, the sticker was affixed to the side and bottom of the box. Pretty damning evidence in and of itself. Now, Whole Foods took it a step further, and although this couldn't have been planned, the person who baked and decorated the cake is openly gay as well. Mm. So it blew the case wide open. So in that
0: kind of a situation, obviously, you've got great proof, which usually isn't quite as obvious. Um, But at another level, the speed is going to be critical, right?
1: Speed is absolutely critical. The latest statistic that I've seen is that people expect a response to a complaint on social media within a half an hour. And that is incredibly fast when you're a large organization.
0: All right, what to do when you? All right, let's say you know, like Nestle on that that famous Kit Kat situation on on a Friday five thirty, where Greenpeace uh, slammed them, and management said, oh, "That's not a problem. We'll deal with that Monday morning." But I mean, at the same time, you can't necessarily have your your all your eyes everywhere, and some things happen in forms and long tail stuff, and next thing you know, you're six hours into it. What are some of the things to do at that point when, you know, you've let, you've let some time go because, you know, stuff does happen. The CEO wasn't on an airplane and we didn't know what to do. We waited for him to land or her to land. And and then we made a decision.
1: When you're in such a case as that, where you haven't prepared beforehand, the number one thing that you can do is acknowledge that there's an issue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's the first thing you can do that will start to, it, it won't stop the momentum of the situation, but it will put a little bit of a speed bump in its way. All right. So
0: in terms of identifying crisis and having everybody participate, janitor onwards, that's cool. What about participating in the dealing with it?
1: Well, in dealing with it, you know, we say that everybody in your organization is a crisis manager, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Because there are unscrupulous news crews who will, failing to get a comment from executives, mm-hmm. failing to get a comment from mid-level people, they will go ambush the guy who runs the front gate. They will go ambush the weekend crew who's in there to do nothing but clean up, um, and they will represent your organization if they go on camera or if they go online and start discussing the situation.
0: Well, I was thinking more about uh, you know the. I've, I've run into situations where bad things happened and the plea from the senior manager was, Hey everybody, uh, please do me a favor. Tweet out this PR release saying we're, we're clean.
1: Hey, uh, that can be a good tool, but that can be very risky too, because then what you're asking people to do is get involved. And if people aren't, if people aren't trained, then, they're going to get very involved, very defensive. Uh, we've seen many cases where employees started arguing with online critics and things turned very, very ugly.
0: <laughs> all right. I don't know to what extent uh, you personally have had this opportunity, but I, I worked in a large organization. It was L'Oreal. And at the time, there were some 35 or 40 international brands that were running Maybelline, Lancôme, L'Oreal Paris, Redken, and all this. Uh, the question I have is crisis management best practices the same for every brand.
1: The core best practices I would say are there are different concerns for different industries but at the core of it showing compassion, being transparent, telling the truth, setting it right that applies to everybody.
0: And so when you're if you're a conglomerate CEO running so many different brands like unilever has 400 of them crisis management should be the same for everything so i mean you basically have one policy fits all in general
1: in general the overall in general best practices remain the same obviously concerns for each individual brand will be a little bit different and in that case i sure hope that they have at least one expert in crisis for each of those brands because they will need to be intimately familiar with the brand and with crisis practices to really do it well.
0: All right, so um, dealing with crisis today, as opposed to a few years before your time, <laughs> we've got this massive preponderance, as you were saying for everybody on to scream and, and to compensate what they want. To what extent is that, is it crisis management really about having the best set of tools is, is, are there best tools Or is it principally an issue of just having the right attitude and processes with regard to your entire team?
1: You know, it's very much about attitude. we found that even if they stumble a bit, people who want to make it right wind up okay. It's the people who want to try to spin and do the old school PR that find themselves in deeper trouble than they started. Where does politically correct fit into that between...
0: Old school and doing it right.
1: Oh my! Um, you know what I would say is your brand politically correct because some brands aren't, and they don't need to care. Mm-hmm. But in general, you need to be pretty careful about what you're saying and doing.
0: Well, that would lead me to think more about old school in some. Way. I mean, so if you take old school as being spin, if I then reinterpret what you said. Because I was thinking of old school as sort of being, let's wait and think about this. You know, we should really write the right thing. Uh, let's, let's write that. No, no, write that better because the English could be improved. The grammar needs a thing. We shouldn't talk about that because, you know, that. and then all of a sudden, you know, you're 12 hours into the first thought of a,
1: of a response.
0: And I think of that as old school
1: as well. No, no, that, I mean, that's still very relevant. We still do all of that. We just do it very, very quickly now. Um, There's no time for sitting and pondering, really. really. There's right, is that good? No, rewrite, change this, add more compassion, sin. In the realm of
0: your preparation, you mentioned the word before. And in my experience, I had the misfortune of living in Manhattan on September 11, 2001. Mm. And to say that we anticipated that would be broadly and wholly wrong. At the same time, it seemed quite unlikely that we should be preparing for such a scenario. Once we did it, then, of course, we had to go through and then we went through pondering what we should do if it came about again, because at that time, it seemed like it was a very realistic second alternative. To what extent has the, the, the terrorist idea filtered through and, and are organizations around all the United States considering that kind of a crisis as well?
1: You know what, in major cities, um, in places with military bases, we are seeing more thinking like that. I think that when a major event like that happens, everybody has it on their mind for a time, Mm -hmm. but people forget so quickly, Mm -hmm. and people forget the lessons learned even more quickly, and people are still not as prepared as they should be for attacks of that kind, I would say, worldwide. I mean, how do you characterize
0: that kind of a crisis? I mean, because <laughs> generally speaking, we're talking about you know, the cake got the wrong letters. Okay, mm-hmm. whoop-de-do. I mean, I don't know what that guy's problem was, of course, why he was doing that. But I mean, all right, that's that's not life-threatening stuff. How do you characterize the differences? I mean, and uh, what what does that look like in terms of crisis management processes?
1: Well, what we like to do is create plans for categories of crises. Of course, you start with the predictable ones, an angry customer, a CEO gone wild, things like that. But, you know, natural disasters are certainly predictable, and a terrorist attack is predictably something that could happen. Now, you're not going to know the specifics, but what you can have is a plan ready to do things like make sure everybody's accounted for. Make sure you have some sort of messaging. Figure out perhaps how people will continue working, especially if you provide critical services, um, fire and police, um, medical services, things like that. They need to have a plan to keep going in the event of a terrorist attack, regardless of what form it takes. Going back
0: to the... Less scary concepts of communication crisis. So, I mean, let's say, I mean, I, I, I want to take it a little bit more lightly. You know, this idea of the cake gone wrong. You, the idea though in 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 crisis is that we're stressed as individuals and employees in an in an organization. Oh my gosh, my product is being attacked. Somebody doesn't like it, and so one becomes stressed. How does one prepare for that stress? Because you can artificially try and create it and do some scenarios and game playing. But it's hard to really recreate without, you know, real physical or mental, you know, um, abuse, Uh, the, the kinds of stress that can cause problems and people wigging out and doing things badly.
1: It is difficult to fully recreate, and that's why I'm a huge fan of items, especially that schools, at least here in the States, do, where they have emergency responders from the area come in and simulate full-fledged issues. Now, that's a lot more difficult to do if you're a private corporation, for example. Really, the best you can do is train and study so that your brain is pulling it automatically. Mm. All right, so
0: there's... um... Another area that I like to talk about is this famous uh, line between... or uh, the notion of transparency. And at a certain level, if you take the Whole Foods one we we're talking about, we we're giggling about how the notion of, of filming everybody allows you to have everything captured, and then you can say, you know, well, your cake was not uh, written on poorly. But uh, So on the one hand, you have transparency, and then on the other hand, you have things which have intellectual property and confidentiality. When and where can obscurity become the
1: subject of bad press. Well, oh, anywhere and any time I would say. Um the issue is that obviously you can't be transparent all of the time, but when you can't, you need to explain why. Mm-hmm. Giving those people that explanation, you know, because of pending litigation is a very common explanation. If you tell people I'd love to talk, but my hands are tied, it buys you quite a lot of breathing room. Yeah,
0: as long as you as long as you don't use it too often and then, or and or, get shown up by it.
1: Right. And while it's helpful in that case to let people know when you expect to be able to speak on that, uh-huh, as right. long as you know you can meet that deadline.
0: <laughs> right. All right. Well, that, that really leads into this next one, which is about this notion of trust. And there's so much mistrust out there, which we see in our political discussions, much less within business. But so it, it, to the extent that trust is a big deal for brands and, and institutions and it's and it's more like a question of mistrust. What is the link between crisis and trust?
1: Well, by their very nature, crises undermine trust. Um, they prove you have a vulnerability. They often prove that you didn't protect those vulnerabilities very well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it creates a major issue in the minds of whoever your stakeholders may be. Um, at the same time, building trust makes your crisis management more effective. I think... One of my favorite quotes is from uh, Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Surely. And he says, when the trust account is high, communication is instant, easy, and effective.
0: I'm going to have to put that one in as some some tweetable kind of a phrase
1: there, (laughs) Eric. I love
0: that one. That's great. Yeah, so the notion really is that you need to build your trust up ahead of time. And the more you have that in the bank, the better off you are when dealing with a trust.
1: Absolutely. We talk about a cushion of goodwill all the time. If you have that cushion of goodwill, not only will it make the impact less, but you have an army of people who will go out and rally for you when you do run into trouble.
0: When you're dealing with a company that they say, listen, hey, listen, Eric, I'd like to hire you guys. You need to help us with our crisis management processes and policies. To what extent are you evaluating the trust factor and let's say the authenticity, if we 're going to use another buzz term of the management team in place as it happens and let me let me paraphrase it if you 've got a bunch of investment bankers who have spent their entire lives let's say screwing everybody all their lives and so that's the perception
2: mm-hmm.
0: how what that's your raw material to what extent that do you get to work on that or or do you really integrate that into the way of dealing with setting up crisis management.
1: You know what? Sometimes it comes down to telling them that that's the case. Uh-huh. Sometimes you have to go into a room, <laughs> room full of individuals and tell them the public believes you are all scumbags. and And more often than not, they're not. But that's the public perception. And we have been thrown off of cases for coming in and calling it just like that. Well, the
0: the, the of course perception is a truth, and so when you're dealing with communication, that isn't that what it's all about—the perception of the communication.
1: Absolutely, I mean, it, perception is reality. There's and, a reason that that's a trope.
0: Yeah, and then then at a certain level, it becomes an issue of whether your employees believe it, as your sort of outer line, and then you get back to the case of the the journalist who can you know grab the cleaner. If you can, mm-hmm. if you have that trust within the organization, if you say that they're actually not scumbags but good guys, but yet they have a bad reputation outside, is it not within the employees that you actually know the truth?
1: And often, what we do, uh, we do what we call vulnerability audits quite often, which are looking for for issues that may arise, and we like to do private, anonymous interviews with employees at all levels because. You learn a lot of truth from the average office pool worker that nobody in the boardroom will ever share.
0: Hmm. I guess that's gotta be awfully meaty at times you
1: bring that back to the board yes, yes it is, and um you know we have to stick to our guns of you wanted an anonymous, completely honest review, and that is what you got
0: yeah at the at the risk of not being hired again, <laughs> but you know I think that's that's an important thing to keep that uh, confidence with the people you manage to extract that information from it's uh a a wholesome thing to do so eric we have had a half an hour i appreciate you jumping on and uh taking taking some time to talk about crisis management it's a it's i I, I suspect that there's awfully another whole area of conversation which is how to manage how crisis management is different country by country but perhaps it's good unless you have some final idea about that that may be the subject of another podcast
1: Oh, we could certainly speak quite a lot about that, but it it is very different and it depends on culture. I mean, I don't think it's any secret that if you go over to Asia, for example, their way of handling negative situations is very different. They very much want to handle it in-house and not talk about it at all, preferably.
0: But when they do uh, come talk about it, they're, you know, like Koreans is hand-wringing and, and bowing and extensive apologizing from the head, from the CEO only.
1: Mm-hmm. But, but yet, there's still more indirect than you would find in certain parts of Europe and most definitely in the United States. Um, so you do have to take a different mindset. Yeah.
0: Well, let's say that in the Anglo Saxon world, or especially in the American one, we prefer a more direct and very quick uh, response.
1: Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's not that that's right, it's just that that's the way we do it. Uh-huh. And so- if you take that strategy over to a country where they don't do it that way, you'll find out that it's very wrong there. All right, my heart's beating. All right, listen, Eric, right.
0: <laughs> what's the best way for someone to uh, connect with you or, or follow what you're up to? Give us a um, your... you,
1: you can always go to BernsteinCrisisManagement.com or you can follow me on Twitter at No More Crisis. No More Crisis. Well, if the No More Crisis, you're out of a job, man.
0: <laughs> it's a goal. It's a goal. <laughs> all right, Eric, have a great day. Thanks again. All right, thank you so much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's Mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes, that really makes my day. Happy trails, and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me
2: with all your colors any different way To rid me of the gray your family.